about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. And it's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal Podcast, we are joined by Martha Engber. She is the author of a new book called Bliss Rose from Vine Leaves Press. Um, She is, uh, she's, this book is rather interesting because it is her experience as a daughter of a parent with undiagnosed autism. And um, as an autistic person, I'm excited to see this experience, see it from the other side, see what the holistic experience of autistic people is and understand um, the challenges with all of that and kind of hear her story. So this promises to be incredibly interesting. So we'll dive right in with Martha. Hello, Martha. Welcome to the Cameron Journal podcast. Hi, Cameron. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Yes. Yes. So I want to, I want to kind of dive right into the deep end of the pool. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your dad? Uh, he was uh, born in a blue-collar town in Alton, Illinois, uh, which is right across from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, had five kids in his family, Catholic, working class, and uh, at a time, 1930. And so there was, of course, that was years and decades before the diagnosis actually came out for Asperger's syndrome, which it's not called in this country anymore. It's called um, autism spectrum disorder, Uh, but that didn't come out till about 1991. And so for most of his life, he was um, uh, autistic and just handling life as he could. And so for most people growing up during that time, he was uh, considered quirky. And that was typically the uh, term used for people who had Asperger's at that time. You know, they may have uh, uh, had unusual eating habits, for example, or, you know, get into, uh, you know, fall into rages uh, for no apparent reason and so forth. The the symptoms that we uh, typically are listed for um, autism at this time. So, uh, and it wasn't until uh, that my nephew, uh, who was, uh, I believe, two at the time, uh, was diagnosed with Asperger's. And again, it's now considered autism spectrum disorder, or ASD, uh, in 1993, that he, um, uh, that the possibility of, uh, became 
um, apparent that he, my dad might have undiagnosed autism because typically it is hereditary, you know, it's, uh, and so um, it's something that we hadn't contemplated until my mother fell ill and my dad had a very hard time with it. And, uh, and so my sisters and I, um, you know, when we were considering things, we said, hey, <laughs> this is probably where this came from. So uh, that is my dad. All right. Well, that is that is quite um, quite difficult. So, um, and I I can only imagine the the layers of family drama with all of this. Um, this isn't Doctor Phil, though. We're not going to go there. So the next the next, but where I do want to go is um, what inspired you to uh, write this book. Well, uh, when I was, uh, I, I realized after, essentially after, there's always some incident which um, tends to um, blow up a situation, right? That you didn't know was even there. And when my mother died, um, that was uh, rather it. My, my mother, I hadn't realized was a buffer between my dad and, and us uh, all growing up. She would kind of ease the uh, rough patches. And uh, because of that, um, uh, when she died, I realized that, uh, in order to uh, deal with my dad and protect myself, that I was, um, uh, I essentially created a mask, right, that I used uh, to, uh, you know, uh, for um, the public as well, you know, so I just didn't understand who I necessarily was. Uh, so it affected my self-esteem to a pretty deep capacity. And I realized my mother just really didn't know me. <laughs> she, she ended up dying and, we, you know, she didn't know me and I didn't know me. And so it kind of le led to this um, uh, very deep uh, crisis that took about 10 years to figure out. And um, uh, so that's when, and when I was trying to figure it out, I was looking up therapists and I said, therapists who deal with the kids of autistic people, nothing. There was nothing. There were no books on it. There was, you know, I ran into oh. literally a handful of articles that were uh, about the um, experience of an holistic, that's a non-autistic child of a um, autistic person. And there was just nothing to deal with that, um, the, the psychological distress that could be um, uh, faced by kids. Uh, and of course, these uh, folks who uh, were autistic and didn't know it, or are and still don't know it, um, they love their kids and they want to do the best that they can for their kids. And yet they, because of the disability, uh, uh, disrupts the communication system to a degree where they have trouble emotionally bonding with their children. And I think that that's probably what uh, occurred with us. But, um, you know, there was nothing, there's no information, there's no research on it. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to uh, write the book. I said, there's got to be tons of people out there whose parent is neurodiverse for one reason or another, and is, uh, you know, having a really rough time of it because they don't understand necessarily how it's affecting them psychologically. So that is my impetus. Yes. Yeah, so I, I imagine based upon that, your relationship with your dad was a bit difficult. Yes. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I think it was not difficult for me because I probably, I'm estimating that uh, I, I read one study that said kids essentially have a fully formed self-esteem by the time they're five, right? Mm -hmm. So it's by the time that they start really getting uh, memories and um, uh, 
uh, are able to, um, you know, talk about their feelings and so forth. Uh, so my guess is that if a parent is unable to bond with their child, that that really happens when the kid is just a uh, when the um, the kid is just a baby. So probably by the time I was five, I was already shut down emotionally. So what kids do is they use whatever advantages they may have uh, intrinsically to um, uh, protect themselves. And for me, that was easy, is that if you look at somebody, you gauge quickly what they're after and you become that. You, and there, therefore, they get what they want and you, they let you pass. Right. They're not going to you're not going to be the one who they yell at. You're not going to be the one they argue with. Uh, you just slide by. And so that's primarily, I think, how I uh, handled uh, uh, my life. So because of that, I was not the the one who who um, received the brunt of his, um, you know, distress when he would become, you know, um, uh, worked up. My sister, who had. ADHD at the time, that was undiagnosed, right? You're talking in the 70s, um, had just a wicked time because, uh, as you know, ADHD causes you to say things without necessarily thinking about, about them. Uh, you tend to confront people. Um, you tend to be disorganized. And my dad didn't know what to do with this. <laughs> All he knew is that he had a he had a daughter who wasn't paying attention, wasn't listening to him, was show, showing apparent disrespect. So she got a she got a lot more flack, and I think it was a lot more difficult for her than it was for me. But you know, I'm um, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to ask if you'd spoken to your siblings about what their experiences were because people forget with siblings. I see this in my own family. I was raised as an only child but my mother is one of four, my dad is one of three, you can grow up into the same household and have very different experiences as children. And I've I've worked as a nanny in the past and all this type of thing, and you will have four kids at the same address, four very different relationships with their parents, and essentially four very different childhoods just under one roof. <laughs> no, yeah, that's really, um, that's really true. Uh, essentially, what uh, becomes of us um, is psychologically is based in part on our chemistry and who we are as a person. In other words, my brain interpreted all those uh, moments in my life in a certain way that, my, that was different for my sisters, because they have different brains. That's how we humans work. And right. I think probably I was the one to end up becoming a journalist and a writer because I have a very analytical um, brain and it bothered me. I didn't know why there were certain things that were missing from my life and I wanted to figure them out. I didn't want to live with that, um, uh, you know, that feeling of I don't know why and, and why am I being attacked by these these periods of just being completely unha unhappy and uh, so that's what what led me to really chase it down. And that's one of the big points, I guess, of the um, the book is that it is worth chasing down because the uh, I was able to learn so much and understand so much that my life is much happier now. And, you know, if I could give that message to your listeners, it is uh, yes, it is painful at times. And uh, but it is worth understanding what happened to you, where you were in that family, and all families have angst of some kind, 
and, you know, how you were affected, you know? So um, I, I agree. My sisters and I, by the way, are very close. And I think one of the reasons, and I would say almost uncommonly so, because I grew up thinking, oh, everybody is super close to their siblings. And <laughs> My mother and her sister live 10 blocks apart. They have not spoken in a decade. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. And when I, when I started to hear those, um, those stories in, mostly in college, when I was, uh, started my branching out into the people who I knew, um, I was shocked. <laughs> how can that be? And now you know how that can be is because there are a lot of unhealed scars that are, you know, um, take place in families. And if you don't heal them, that's the kind of dysfunction you're left with. And who wants to, you know, you know, have that level of, of pain in their life. And I guess that's, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is I just, I, I have a very low tolerance for, you know, emotional pain. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think, but I, I, here's the thing though, is what, what might be painful to one person is a perfectly workable system for someone else, you know, in a family system, if you're the golden child, you don't care that the scapegoat is suffering. It's not your problem because it's not you. I, I suppose that that's going to be true. And that goes back to the, the thought that um, each person occupies a very unique role in a family. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and I guess for when it came to my dad, my sister, middle sister was very much the scapegoat. Uh, but uh, at least she had the support of my, you know, me and my other sister. And uh, so that was really good. Um, uh, and my mom was, uh, you know, that was one of the things I had to deal with is that my mom was like, if you were look at her, she was just like the best person. She, she loved kids. She was a mom from the get go. She, you know, was emotional and she, you know, really a good person, uh, lovely to everybody she met. But, you know, when it came to one of the most important things, which is protecting her kids against, <laughs> Uh, her husband she couldn't bring herself to do that and so you have to you're like hey mom how come you, you know how come that happened and so um uh, that was partly you know as i was going through the book because she was gone by then so it's like what do you do how do you how do you get over that how do you get over being mad at that person and then so that was a big part of it, discovering who my mom really was and why she did what she did, which was super helpful, you know? Was, no, no, certainly. You know. So when it comes to, is your dad still with us? He is not. And oh, so okay. I dad has passed on. Think, yeah, I don't think I would have um, sought publication for the book if he'd still been alive. I think I would have, um, you know... Um, because he does deserve my, you know, full respect. He actually accomplished quite a lot, uh, you know, and it was a very upstanding member, you know, very, very um, uh, principled person. So, uh, you know, I would, I would not have done that to him. Yes. Well, what, what do you, what, you know, if you had five minutes of his time again, what would you tell him? Well, you know, oddly in the book, I, I do uh, uh, say, you know, if if I could have, I would have said, hey, uh, we have this, these incidents of autism in our family. Two of my sister's kids are autistic. Uh, we have a ton of ADHD in our family. 
which is also considered neurodiverse uh, condition. Um, and I would have asked him, I said, do you think it's a possibility that you have autism? And my guess, he was a very, very logical thinker. And my guess is he would have thought about it seriously and he might have said, yeah, that's possible. Uh, so uh, it's to his credit that he could contemplate um, a truth that perhaps others might think undesirable and they might push away. So, um, but that's what I would have, have asked him. Do you think it's yeah. possible? I mean, that yeah. would have changed our yeah. lives. I mean, yeah. no question. If we had had, if autism had been a diagnosis, if um, uh, if we had known the symptoms to look for, if we'd been able to actually talk about it, oh my goodness, the whole life would have been different. And so that's another reason for writing this book is that I want to really encourage people. It's like, we've got these diagnoses now, uh, so let's make use of them. You know, the terms, the words, let's start communicating more within families because it would just make fam families thrive to a greater degree. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in terms of your own life and all this type of thing, did you go on to get married and have children? And how was that different than how you grew up? Um, I did uh, have um, uh, have. I met my husband in college and we had two children. And uh, so that's a, a, a big part of the book is that I was always thinking that autism was something that didn't touch me necessarily. It was something that my sister was having, having to deal with. But then I realized that it was the way in which I was raised. It actually changed my personal communication system. Uh, having having a parent with undiagnosed ASD um, uh, definitely um, uh, affected my communication system and left me emotionally um, lacking in terms of my connection to my kids. And that was huge. That was out of everything. That was the most painful uh, part of all of this, the discovery of the fact of how my need to protect myself was so great that I kept myself emotionally distant from my kids. That was a, it was a shocker to learn. It was just, just super painful to deal with. Yeah. So, I want to, I want to dig into that idea a little bit because you, you kind of mentioned this emotional distance and gap. Um, a couple times now and it's obviously had effects up and down the family line um what is maybe walk us through what does that look like how did it manifest and how does it affect you as a daughter and then as a mother well, um, I think anytime you develop a really elaborate um, system for protecting yourself, the more layers you have, um, the more impaired you can become. So if I am essentially interacting with people, and that's, uh, it was uh, the description I use is kind of like Casper the boat, ghost. You have this empty interior and you cloak it with um, the persona, the public persona that you believe will be acceptable at any given time. Uh, to the people you work with, to friends, to family. You're doing it with your family too. 
So you're presenting this mother image to your children. You're not actually, um, you're not actually connecting with them and being able to, so everything was about, I better protect myself really well because if anybody pops this bubble, they're going to see that there's nothing there. There's nothing inside of me. I'm, I'm a non-person. And um, that is something that is, you live in terror of. <laughs> Please don't let that happen. And so what you do is you build that same kind of um, protection against from your own kids. You know, it's like, don't come too close. Don't get too close because I cannot afford to have you show the world that I am nothing. And that's, that's the effect. It, it makes you feel like you're nothing. And it's something that is a psychological uh, feeling of invisibility and nothingness that can is, is attributed to other um, uh, uh, psychological uh, situations. Perhaps if a parent has addiction, for example, and the kid needs to protect themselves. Uh, mental illness, uh, the kid feels they need to protect themselves. And so from that, it's like you don't form those really intimate relationships. I happen to with my husband, I think out of sheer luck of who he is. And uh, I, I'm really grateful for that, you know, but it's like I had to really work on my communication system. I had to make because my whole thing was appearing, trying to appear perfect, which is ridiculous. But that's what I was faced with. And it was so time consuming and hard, you know, and to be able to say, oh, I made a mistake or yeah, I, yeah, it was kind of a silly thing that happened. And, and that took me, I had to practice that. It was the craziest thing. You know, I had to practice telling, telling people about myself and deciding what was really, uh, I really thought about something instead of just telling them what I thought they wanted to hear. So I had to like work through all that. I had to, you know, really, it's like, whoa, you know, my communication system is horrible, you know? So, yeah, oh, no, that, that definitely, that definitely makes, makes sense. How, how do you think, I, I don't know if you got this kind of far into it or if you've had this type of reflection, but how do you think the way that you're, a father in your family system was broke your communication system because I, I find, <clears throat> I find autistic people are so easy to communicate with because it's so simple. It's straightforward. There's no subtext. You don't have to read between the lines. You don't have to guess. You don't have to intuit anything. What you see is exactly what you get. And so I'm kind of curious in terms of how, in terms of your communication style and you going through all that you went through to get to where you are now, this like healthier place, um, how that, how those kind of two things merge to merge together. Because in my mind, it would seem that it would be, it would be easier. It would improve, but you know, I'm also autistic. So I have odd ideas about everything. Well, I actually think that's a really good thing because um, one of the reasons I, I, uh, fell in love with my husband is he was immediately a person that struck me as a person who's I was never going to have to change him or never want to change him he was he was going to be straight up with me and that is something that I didn't feel like I had at home necessarily mm. right um, there was you know my mom was you know kind of the, one of millions of other women and mothers who kind of fell prey to that passive aggressive kind of system of oh, wishy-washy oh, you 
I could do that or yeah, maybe you shouldn't, or, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, situation. Um, and my dad and I never talked really. I mean, I had, I had no relationship with him. And it's a very hard thing. If you've had a relationship with a, a father, I guess, you, you, you know, it's like this person is important to you and they've had, uh, you know, they've, you know, had a big imprint on you. I had no relationship with my father. He was the guy who came home and we talked politics or, or whatever it was. And, and then he went to sleep and that's kind of it. So emotionally there was just no, no, nothing there. He didn't know anything about me pretty much. So he would sometimes say things that would, um, he didn't understand what the implication was. Mm. And I think that that's a difference perhaps between uh, uh, holistic people and autistic people is no filters, right? right? And and often that can be a really good thing because, you know, it's like, you know, do you think this is ready for submission? No, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah. that you think that that's really the, the answer. I get it. Um, but it, when you're dealing with children and self-esteem, uh, you know, for example, I use the example in my book that um, he told me this story where he um, um my mother would come out every year for my birthday and it was as you would suspect it's to come out and be with me be with me not go visit but when he would want to come out he'd want to go see things and learn things because that's what he liked to do so he would do the obligation of talking with family <laughs> <laughs> yeah for a day or two <laughs> yeah and then he's out of there yeah he's out of there right because it's not that interesting to him i and it's so also a I, lot of energy it's extremely stressful very draining <laughs> like it's exactly yes. a lot that's why with family i am in and out i'm kind of like oh yeah long weekend i'll get in on thursday <laughs> night and on monday i'm on a plane flying home and it's great like it yes i could but i can yeah, also see how that would be very disconcerting you know to people well, it, and it wasn't so much that it's that he he um and he said um he he looked at me and he 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 said I was offered to go with her and go on a longer vacation, was spend a little time with you, and then we would go off and do our thing. And so, um, and he said, but but she always wanted to just come and see you, and I never understood why. And so the implication is now for an autistic person, you're like, well, it's a basic question: how come? How come she just wanted to go and see you? I don't get it. Whereas for a person who is uh, holistic, the implication is you're not worth visiting. You're not interesting. You you know what? I don't understand why she would come and just see you. You're, there's nothing there to see, <laughs> you know? And, 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 he, yeah. and that was the moment in which I realized kind of his disability. I really, that was the moment where I'm like, okay, I get it. I understand now. Because I think he, there was no, in my head, I wasn't like, oh, he's trying to hurt me. I knew that he just really didn't understand how that was going to come off, you know, <laughs> to a person yeah. who analyzes things. And <clears throat> so, it was, and, and so, but it was like a lifetime of those, those moments in which he more or less told me, 
you're not interesting. You're not right. He didn't mean to. Right. right. I, but that's how, but that's the feeling you got left with. Yeah. I have a very dear friend of mine, Pete Coogan. He and I have arguments because I always tell him he is like, he's like, you can't know what other people are thinking. He's autism classic. You can't know what people are thinking. You can't understand their minds. You can never know or understand that. And I'm kind of like, no, you can. It's called emotional intelligence and you need two tablespoons. <clears throat> and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so and i said you know and he he gets mad because other people try to you know consider his feelings and he <laughs> literally considers that immoral and i'm kind of like no that's called self-awareness of other people pete <laughs> like that's a very important thing i had to work very hard to learn how to do that over a long period of time and he, he thinks i am absolutely nuts and you know you can't know about other people and how they're feeling so why bother trying or even bother to think about that just disregard all of that sort of thing um so i can definitely see how you know it, it, it this and, and here's i think where the where the the miscommunication or perhaps malcommunication begins um when you tell someone oh yeah, I only want to see you for X time and then I want to go off and do my own thing or whatever have you. Your feeling of you're not that interesting is completely valid. That's of course, of course, that's exactly how you would feel hearing that. In the autistic brain, we're just kind of, it, it's not that you're not interesting. It's just that we don't want, we have other, we're jumping from hyperfixation to hyperfixation. There's a whole world of knowledge. We're trying to go here, do that, all this type of thing. you know. And so we're off on 50 different trails all at once sometimes. And um, unfortunately, especially in the, in a family, in a personal context, a lot of people can kind of be hurt in that process of sort of bull in the China shop you know, going around doing our thing, being in our own time and space and not properly thinking and evaluating about what that means to other people or, or what, or what just being present means like for a major life event or whatever have you. And I, I think, think that's an odd, that odd thing. Hits it right on the head uh, is that you, that I actually think when I was writing this, I really realized that the way people, holistic people, um, communicate is totally unfair. So I actually get the holistic mindset. If people were able to more um, bluntly say what they are um, really feeling or, you know, experience or how they think, it would be uh, easier for everybody. But what happens with the holistic world and the, the um is that you're expected to kind of lie about it and then figure it out. You know, like if, if you go up to somebody, how are you? Fine. You know, and they're clearly not fine. Yeah. But yes, you're expected that... to guess oh, right. what might be wrong or to, to right, instead of just taking them for their word, you're expected to know that something is not right. That is essentially kind of like a formalized lying. So it's a really unfair system. So well, I, I, I think part of the problem is it's not people that people, I mean, it is kind of formalized lying. I think, and, and here's the problem, and here's where I struggle, is people are telling you, but they're not using direct communication or words when they do it. It's energy, it's tone, it's the vibe, it's their body language, all this type of thing. And for all the years I have spent 
learning about this stuff and getting better at it and all this type of thing. There's I I'm mediocre at best when it comes to understanding all of those different social cues and all this type of thing. I only got diagnosed two years ago and I'm 35 wow. next week. When, oh, wow. This is being recorded on April the 21st. It won't come out until June. But I, <laughs> I, I will have been 35 by the time the listener hears this. Um, and I was only diagnosed two years ago. Um, I, I'm still mediocre at, at best, you know, even in terms of like, you know, is it, you know, is she flirting with me? Is she not? Did I, you know, piss you off? Did I say the wrong thing? Do the wrong thing? I mean, sometimes I'm like, why are you yelling at me? I mean, I, it, it's as much as work as I have done. It, it's still a coin toss kind of, of me trying to figure out, you know, what the problem is, all this type of thing. So I, it, I think there's, I, I think it, it's a part of the struggle with being autistic is we're missing 90% of the conversation. Words yeah. are only 10% of the conversation. The other 90% is intonation, intuition, body language, energy, vibes, all this type of thing. We're only, we're perpetually on the phone. We're only getting 10% of the conversation. We live life through a telephone, basically. Yeah. And and we're, we're just not seeing and processing all that other stuff. And... And I can only imagine on the other side of it, on the holistic side, to be kind of like, I'm doing all the things and why aren't they hearing me in the language that I'm communicating? And it's just, yeah, and our receivers are just not, our antennas are down, the power got pulled, like, we're just not receiving your signal. And, and I imagine that's incredibly frustrating, especially as a child to a parent when you're doing all that stuff and you're just not getting your needs met no matter how hard you try. That is devastating. That was the hard part because yes, if it, the thing is that if if you're when you're a little kid and you have when you're a little baby and you're a toddler and you you have no means, you have no concepts, you have no words yet for things. It's like those little lessons of I'm not getting my needs met are embedded there's no way to deal with them there's no way to because no it's like you can say um oh um you know i found that frustrating and i can use this strategy right but you don't have that uh and uh it, it, it's like buried <laughs> so it was that's what the whole book was about is uncovering the buried little bubbles and bursting them you know, with, oh, there's a reason I did all that and made all those mistakes and didn't get emotionally connected to my kids and didn't, you know, and did feel bad about myself. There's a reason. And that is what I would like really emphasize for your your um, viewers is it doesn't matter what happens to you. It, it's finding out what it is so you finally understand and you can live with a less burdened life. And in terms of like uh, autism in particular, uh, it, 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 we're so lucky now that there's like a di diagnosis and there is tangible phrases that you can use and parents. And that's what I, I'm advocating for is if you're on the spectrum and you have kids or thinking about having kids, it's like hook up with that, that your neighborhood child development psychologist, because there are simple things that you can do to actually connect with your kid emotionally. Just like you said, you can get the phrases you can, and you can explain to your kids. You can say, look, 
kid, this is how it is. Like if you would explain that to me as a kid, uh, we're playing telephone and I'm only getting certain if I would have been like, Cameron, I got you, man. Yeah, <laughs> I understand what you're talking about. So I am not <clears throat> gonna expect you to do X, but there was none of that. No. And until families talk about that, there's going to be these, these errors and these underlying emotional traumas that take place because their kids just don't have words for them. Yeah. No, having, having the language for things is, is huge. Um, I spent the bulk of my twenties um, in uh, therapy and spiritual practice. And um, it was, a, and it was a long journey of me unpacking, you know, I grew up in a very abusive household and I was an only child. So I was the target. Um it took me a long time to kind of unpack all of those things, see through all of those layers, and also to get old enough to understand the other side of it, and also long enough to get the language for it. I even found in my last relationship, um, I was I've been talking with my ex, and we've become friends a little bit, and and we were kind of talking about things, and she's kind of like, oh, wow, I wish you'd told me that, you know, we broke up three years ago. I wish you'd said that three years ago. I said, babe, I didn't have the language three years ago. What you're seeing is the three years that I've spent thinking about, <laughs> you know, us. I didn't have the words back then to say A, B, C, and D, you know? And that was before I had gotten diagnosed and gone through all the stuff after that and learned so much about myself and how things were and why things were this way and all this type of thing. It just it, it was not available yet. That's the you whole know. thing is not having the words for it. And I actually have a, a section in the book which talks about that because it comes from a culture in which you're taught not to talk about your feelings anyway, right? So you're already starting at a deficit. You don't have yes. the words for, you know, you know, there, nobody's encouraging you. And I was growing up, nobody's encouraging you to, to, to convey your feelings. They're like, be quiet, sit down, be quiet. Don't cause trouble. <laughs> I grew up religious. No, I mean, yeah. I grew up religious of very conservative people. My mom's from West Texas. My dad is from Wyoming. Children were to be seen and not heard and preferably not seen most of the time either, you know. And I, I grew up in the, you know, late 80s, you know, early 90s when parents locked their kids out of the house all day and, you know, to clean and have alone time and whatever have you. Well, very different from how people parent now. And, um, and so, yeah, it's... Um, um, a very different, very different sort of thing, very different economy, very different attitude, um, very different I ideas. And we've come so far, you know, but I mean, in some places, yes, in some places, no, I, I don't look at my own life and been like, wow, if I had known this at 18 years old, I would have made completely different decisions. I would have never gone to college. I would have never gone to grad school. Um, we probably wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation right now, um, you know, because a lot of people in the ASD community end up working small time retail jobs, whatever have you, and kind of jump from thing to thing to thing. Um, and I spent years kind of beating my head against the wall trying to figure out, you know, why does every system in society seem to work for everyone else but me? And then two years ago, I found out. <clears throat> yeah. So which is why we do this. So yeah. it's, yes, no, it's a very, it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult thing. And I think when on that a piece about emotions, I think one of the tough parts 
that I think is tough for people around the autistic person is, and I, I have this argument with my ex, she is full of desires and cravings and feelings and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot going on all the time. And I'm like, that's nice. Can't relate. That's not where I live. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I was like, that's just not where I live. Like, you know, like feelings come along in like big tsunami waves, but the ocean's usually pretty calm, you know? Yeah. And I see that in a lot of, especially male ASD people, like the emotion chip just didn't get plugged in. People call us Spock and data for a reason, like, you know, because that just that facility just isn't isn't there. And I think that's um, that's also quite, quite difficult. And I can see how adapting to that sort of flat affect and all that sort of thing um, would just permeate into every other part of your life. That's really tough. It is, but the the thing also that's interesting is that um, uh, for your listeners, if they're uh, uh, not sure, uh, neurodiversity actually encompasses um, there there are uh, uh, I don't know fifteen twenty at least, and sometimes the number depends on kind of what uh, resource you're going to, but encompasses oh. a lot of mental health problems, learning disabilities, behavioral disabilities abilities which is adhd and then physical problems like stroke down syndrome mm-hmm. and so uh and one estimate i read is that one in 20 people is neurodiverse now one in 20 people means that they're all around us we're in this ocean together you know the people who are neurodiverse and the people who are not we're all moving around to each other and it's not the people over there And it's not those people asking for extra resources, costing our society more money. It is our grandma and our kid and our sister. And so we, so if we can get that feeling like, yes, some people need more, more help. And not only that, we need to be uh, speaking uh, clear, more clearly to each other. Uh, You know, going back to your point about that, um, then we are going to be doing a lot better. Right. We're going to be, you know, uh, you know, if you were able, if I was able to, as a little kid, give you those phrases. So you're able to explain to me, yes, um, even though you're talking about all this stuff, um, I don't feel any of that. Good. That's a good thing to know. Right. Giving them the words and so forth. Um, We're going to just be a lot better. It's really hard to be in neurodiverse families. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And, And I think it's I mean, family dynamics are tough enough already but when you have <clears throat> brains that are built differently um that adds an extra layer of complexity and but i mean the thank goodness it's 2023 we're having these conversations you've written your book we're talking about it now this stuff is finally getting out there so that people don't just struggle along like we did you know sort of thing you know we're finally getting to that place where it's like there's resources now there's stuff you can find now there's conversations being had and it's so important Yes, especially with, uh, and I understand there's, there's still some difficulties, like assessments can be very costly for people, uh, you know. Um, and long waiting times. I got lucky. I, I was in between two clinics. One uh, was a 16-month wait, uh, and the other one that I went with was a five-month wait, and the only reason it was five months is because they had just opened, and their list was uh, short. But it still was like a five-month 
weight sort of thing. So yeah, it's and 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 that and that's and I was lucky to be able to find someone that took in my insurance, all this type of thing. I had a dear friend from back in the day who was trying to get her son assessment diagnosed, and it's you know anywhere from two to five thousand dollars, if not more. Not always covered by insurance. Finding a doctor that's both available and takes your insurance is its own challenge. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yes, it's a lot. And so, and that, uh, so that's one of the things that would be uh, very helpful for neurodiverse <clears throat> families if they uh, is that they can get assessment easier and uh, less cost uh, would be very helpful. Uh, parenting classes would be great. You know, if my dad had had parenting classes, I'm sure he would have um, he would have adhered to it because he was a he was a logical guy. If you told him you got to do XXX, he would have done that. He would have held me for whatever amount of time they said was good time to hold a baby. He would have looked into my eyes, which is what they say is really good for bonding with kids. He would have talked to me. You know what I mean? This The basic yes. things like that. And um, uh, um, and because you can see it's like it's like you, you'd always be it's like from somebody who is maybe uh, autistic, they might, you know, look at me and say, Hey, you know, uh, stop complaining about us. But I'm, I'm like, no, no, we're together. We're, we're together. It's like your situation is my situation and we are together in this, you know, and it's getting that feeling of working together. That is really, I think really important. You know, it's not an us them thing. It's a, we're, yeah. we're all in this. No, quite. Well, this has been a great conversation. We're coming up to the hour. So um, why don't you let us know uh, where people can find the book and where they can connect with you online? Uh, you can uh, essentially order the book uh, at all major retailers online. Uh, it's Amazon, bookshop.org is for independent bookstores, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, and uh, it's on pre-order uh, now. And you can also go to my website, which is um, MarthaEngber.com. Wonderful. So, Excellent. Yes. Thank you so much, Martha. Thank you for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast. Thank you, Cameron. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast. <laughs>